Hello and welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. Today our family pastor, J.C. Thompson, will deliver a message about Jesus' parable of the ten minas. You can follow along with this message in Luke 19, 11 through 27. You can also find our weekly message outline and many other resources on our website at brookwoodchurch.org or on our Brookwood app. Good morning. That was, that was okay. Thank you. Somebody's happy to be in the air conditioning this morning. Come on. Hey, uh, welcome back to Brookwood Church. Uh, we have been in a series uh, entitled The Life of Jesus, and these books are available in the bookstore for purchase. You can probably find one with some, you know, from somebody. You can borrow it. You can get on the app and, and follow along with the plan. Uh, and so I, I will just tell you, though, if you have missed out on the last several weeks of teaching, cancel everything you have planned this afternoon. It's too hot to go outside anyway. Uh, and just watch them online because they have been fantastic. Uh, and uh, I am uh, excited to be here. Pastor Perry right now is away uh, reading, studying, praying, fasting, thinking through what is the next season of Brookwood? What are we doing? What does God want for us? And uh, we get to come up here and, and speak to you uh, about some of the things uh, that Jesus has experienced through this series. And I'm, I'm super excited to be here and talk with you about a story that Jesus told today. Uh, my name's JC. I'm the family pastor here at Brookwood, which is a fancy way of saying I get to hang out and work with all the people that work with kids and students, pastors, leaders, volunteers. Uh, and I am honored and thankful to be communicating God's word to you this morning. Uh, today, I think what we'll be talking about will matter to all of us, uh, no matter what stage of life you're in, or what you see your role being in the kingdom, I believe that today you will be able to walk away with something. Last week, Gene Beckner talked about the rich young ruler, and uh, the rich young ruler left sad, burdened by the things that he owned. And last week, maybe you felt burdened by your interest in your stuff uh, as you left last week, but I appreciated how much Gene was so focused on helping us understand how Jesus looked intently at that rich young ruler and focused on him and loved him, uh, even though he knew the burden that he had in his life. Today, we're gonna look at our stuff from a different perspective. Uh, not just our stuff, our personalities, our gifts, our talents, our strengths, our weaknesses, and everything in between. We're gonna hear a story from Jesus this morning about the intentionality and joy that comes if we're living our life on purpose. So today, we're gonna to be in reading 155. Uh, if you've got your Life of Jesus book, if you've got your Bible, we're gonna be in Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 11. Let's read the scripture, and let's see what God has to say to us this morning. Luke 19, 11. As they were listening to this, he went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem, and they thought the kingdom of God was going to appear right away. See, our text shows us that this story that Jesus was teaching is on purpose. There's a group of people who are with Jesus at this moment in time, and Jesus is about to enter into Jerusalem. 
for his final week here on earth before his death, burial, and resurrection. And if you've been with us during this series, it's almost as if Jesus is getting very intentional, very pointed with people. It's almost as if you sense some urgency with which he's speaking to people. Now, you've heard many times during this series that the Jews thought Jesus was gonna come in and overthrow the Roman government, that they wanted him to come in with military power and strength and to make the Jewish people a global power. That's what they anticipated him doing. And this particular group of people that were with Jesus had just experienced or maybe even heard about the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, if you don't know, and wee little man was he, right? And the, the key part for that story for me is that Zacchaeus had his life turned upside down. So I want you to imagine this in your life. You've got a, a person that you have a connection with. They've cheated you, maybe in business, dealing with your family or your friends, but they've cheated you. And they show up and they come to you and they say, Jesus Christ has changed my whole life, everything about it, and I cheated you. So I'm gonna pay back everything I cheated you. And then four times that amount. Now, if your face was like this, that would be an appropriate response to that, right? Can you just, a lot of us in this room can't even imagine a human being coming up to us and saying something like that, can you? Like going through the list of people that they have impacted and coming back and going, oh my goodness, I hurt you. I'm gonna pay it all back. Like you can't even imagine. So imagine that group of people with that experience of a guy like Zacchaeus that they probably all knew. And then right at the end of that text in Luke 19.10, Jesus said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. Now, for us, that's unbelievable news, right? That's fantastic news that Jesus came to save us who are lost. But if you were a Jew, that news may not be as exciting because that's your king. Jesus is supposed to be your guy. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 I'm, I'm here to save these people. And so you can imagine this group of people has some particular thoughts about what Jesus is about to do. Something is happening. Now, something, this thing, maybe, maybe they just think this is the time. This is the time where Jesus is about to go in and he's about to overthrow the Romans. Maybe that's what's in their mind. So Jesus, sensing all these things, sensing where their attitude is, sensing what they're thinking, and also knowing he's about to enter into the city, tells them a story. And the story begins like this in Luke 19, 12. Therefore, he said, a nobleman traveling to a far country to receive for himself authority to be king and then return. And having called 10 of his slaves, he gave them 10 manas and told them, do business until I come back. Now, this story that Jesus is about to tell is full of application for our life. I mean, it's chock full of stuff that we can gain, that we can say, man, I've got to process through all this but the focus that I want us to have today is this one phrase that Jesus uses in this story, and it's just this. Do business until I come back. Do business until I come back. Now, as you hear those words, how do you feel? Some of you are like, JC, you just asked me how I feel. That's a weird question to even ask me. That makes me feel weird that you're asking me a feeling question at 11 o'clock in the morning, right? Like some of you are like, feelings, I, I, not till after lunch time, right? 
But maybe for some of you, you might immediately start to feel some burden because you think about all your stuff, you think about all your opportunities, you think about some chances that you may have had to really make a difference, but you missed out for whatever reason. Some of you might immediately feel regret that sometimes you could have taken the jump, sometimes you could have helped somebody, made a difference in their life, sometimes that you felt God was really calling you to do something, but you remember not taking that step things you would have or could have done differently. Others of you might start to feel nervous. And some of you in this room might start to get excited. See, the world has its fingers wrapped around every single part of our life. It's telling us things. It's trying to convince us of things. We're busier than ever. We're in debt more than ever. We're worried more than ever. And it seems as if people are hungrier, hurting more, and forsaken more than ever before. And when Christians, people who love Jesus Christ, should be an influence in the culture, it seems like sometimes they're nowhere to be found. So how can we be faithful servants in this world? How can we live our lives excited that Jesus would ask us the question or give to us the mission, do business until I come back? How can we live as faithful servants? If you'll take out your outline, living as a faithful servant includes loving your master. See, Jesus here tells a story of a master who is going to become the king. He's gonna go off, he's gonna receive his his kingdom, uh, the title of king, and he gathers together these 10 slaves and he gives them a manah and asks them to do business until he comes back. Jesus creates this story to show the Jews something about himself and what's to come. Now, Jesus is a man of noble birth. He came from God. He came from heaven. He was born as a God-man to common parents. So from one perspective, he's got a common birth. From the perspective that we know, oh no, he's noble. This is a miraculous birth. This is a miraculous happening. And he's going to receive his kingdom. He's about to go to Jerusalem. He's about to die on the cross. He's about to be tortured. He's about to be resurrected. And God is giving him the keys to the kingdom. He's about to solve our issue. He's about to fix our issue. So this story is about Jesus. And he will return again. And he will reign forever. Now, the man in this story called together 10 slaves, and he gave them a manah. The word slave in this particular part of the story, this word slave means doulos. The word is doulos, which means more like a trusted employee, like someone who has a good reputation with the master, someone who would be trusted with responsibility, someone who had a connection with the master, not in the traditional way that we think of the word slave. And a manah is about 100 days worth of wages, It's a little over three months worth of what they would have made every single day. So this text, for me, there are some things in this text that stick out about this master, some things that you have to understand what's going on. First, again, he's of noble birth. That means that he has the DNA of a leader inside of him. Now, we all know great leaders, and we know some great leaders who have children, and sometimes we go, oh, I see that in them. And other times we go, 
maybe that's just the personality quirk. Maybe that personality quirk is worked out in the wrong way, right? But there is something in this master because of his birth that is gonna make him the king, okay? That's an important thing to understand. There's something about him that sets him apart and it is his DNA, who he is, who he was born to be. The second thing we notice is that there are people in this story who do not want this master to be the king. There are people in this story who want to go after him and contest his rule. In fact, verse 14 says this, but his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we don't want this man to rule over us. We don't want this guy to be king. Now the Jews would have been very familiar with this scenario because all power was handed down from Rome. And so if you were the ruler of a particular area, you would have to go to Rome and you'd have to have the Roman leadership sign off on you as king. And that happened with Herod. Herod was signed over as king over this land. When Herod died, he split his land up between his three sons. Uh, And Archelaus had rule over Judea. And when he got in charge, like most leaders do when they become in charge, they want to leave their mark. They want to teach their subjects who they're going to be as king. And so Archelaus did that. He slaughtered 3,000 Jews to try and intimidate his subjects into following him. So when he went to Rome to go to Caesar to have his kingship, the title of king, confirmed for him, the Jews sent a delegation after him to try and convince Caesar, hey, Caesar, do not let this guy become king. Caesar heard the delegation. In fact, he said, you can rule, but I'm not going to give you the title of king until you win the people over. And that never happened. In fact, eventually the, Rome, uh, the Romans overthrew uh, Archelaus as ruler and they replaced him with governors. Pilate, who we will learn about very soon, Pilate was the fifth governor put in place. So this situation was very in, a very interesting context for the Jews that Jesus was telling this story about. They would have understood what it meant to have someone that they did not want to be king But these servants that the king, the master had called together, these servants seemed to be very faithful. They seemed to be people who were trusted. They seemed to be people that the master wouldn't mind giving resources to. The last thing that I see about this particular master is that he is fair and generous. All 10 slaves got the same amount. Now, it's a generous amount. They didn't earn it. It was given to them. Three months worth of wages. So imagine for a second, you show up to work tomorrow on Monday and the boss, not like maybe your supervisor, but like the boss, the one that owns the company, the one that's in charge, he shows up and he goes, hey, you, I need you in the conference room, which will probably fill you with all kinds of fear and anxiety, right? Because the conference room is a great place filled with parties and all kinds of goodness, right? So you show up. And there's nine other people there, nine other uh, of your employee brethren, okay? You show up in the conference room and the boss looks at you and he's, he says, hey, I'm gonna give you a little over three months worth of your salary up front today. All of you would be like, what in the world? What are you talking about? What's happening right now? You're looking for cameras, like you're trying to get somebody to explain what you just walked into. This is a crazy situation, right? And the boss looks at you And he says, I trust you. I'm going on a trip. And when I get back, we're going to have show and tell. I want you to make the most of this while I'm gone. 
and then we'll see what you did when I come back. Later, right? <laughs> the boss just jets out, right? Like that's a crazy situation to even think of in our day that someone would drop that amount of money in our lap and say, figure out a project, go for it. Do business until I return to use, to invest. I mean, this guy seems like an unbelievably generous man to me. He doesn't seem like some crazy person. He's, I mean, maybe a little crazy, maybe too crazy generous, right? But like a generous person. Let me ask you this question. When you hear God as master, how does that make you feel? I mean, let's, let's even dial down a little more. When you think of authority, how do authority figures make you feel? I mean, here's the reality. See, God has dealt everyone in this room a hand of cards. He's given us strengths. He's given us personality. He's given us gifts. He put you in South Carolina. He put you in Greenville, South Carolina. He put you in this area. He gave you the family that you have. He gave you, or he gave me a very strong Southern accent that I sometimes have to speak faster so people will hear me better. (laughs) God did all of that on purpose. It wasn't an accident. It's not a mistake. It's not a random conglomeration of stuff. He knows what he's doing. See, for us, when it comes to our relationship with the master, we're in one of three groups. We're either a faithful servant, an unfaithful servant, or we're an outright enemy. So what would be a sign of being a faithful servant? It would be loving your master. JC, how can I love somebody whom I barely know? Now, I, I want to say this because I did grow up in the South. I grew up in church. That's me. And sometimes growing up in church, the picture that you have of God, whether it's because of incorrect teaching or it's because you caught it incorrectly. Because, you know, some of us, all of us come in here with attitudes and experiences from this past week. Sometimes we're hoping to hear life, but because of our stuff, sometimes we don't hear life. We hear anger, frustration, you know what I'm saying? So I believe there's incorrect teaching, but I sometimes believe there's incorrect catching of truth, right? And both of us, we have to be responsible to steward both of those things, okay? But just for one second, I I just wish all of us could just try as hard as we can to just wipe the slate and just say, God, I'm gonna read your word and I'm gonna figure out who you are. Just clean it all up. Because sometimes you read pieces of scripture and you're like, I don't know that's the God I know. I don't know that's the God that I've heard about. So, man, it would, do, it would do good just to set some time aside and just say, God, I, I wanna know who you really are. I mean, I love the teaching. I love hearing those things, but I want to know who you are. I wanna relate to you in a way that is true and authentic. I want you to immerse yourself in his word and begin to break down maybe the image that you have of God that may not be correct. Because yes, God can be in charge and authority and also loving, generous, and good towards you for you. Those things can align, okay? So I hope that you'll begin to understand who is God, who is Jesus, and really begin to focus on that because it will do wonders for you in your relationship with God. Second thing we must do, we must be working. 
See, the master tasked them with doing something. He didn't just give them money and say, see ya. No, he said, do business until I come back. That word business, it means trading, leveraging, negotiating, working. Why? For the benefit of the master. You would be bargaining for a profit. That is what the master desired for them to do. In other words, here's some resources. Make some money for my kingdom. That is what this story Jesus is saying. Do business until I come back. Work, leverage, trade for the benefit of the kingdom. Verse 16. The first came forward and said, Master, your manah has earned 10 more manas. Well done, good slave, he told him. Because you have been faithful in a very small matter, have authority over 10 towns. Now, just real quick, just, just again, sometimes we don't make this like real to us. You were given three months salary, your boss gets back and he goes, okay, what'd you do? Well, you know, I made 10 times the amount you gave me. All right, sweet, you're over 10 departments. Like immediately, 10 departments. Uh, 10 campuses, you're over 10 buildings, you're over 10 things. Like, he gave him authority over 10 towns immediately. Like, now, just understand this. Like, sometimes you can have a skill set for one thing, but not a skill set for another, right? Like, maybe he just had some sales techniques, right? Maybe he doesn't know what it's like leading a town at all. But the master trusted him because he listened to his instructions and he followed through. And the second came, and said, Master, your manah has made five manas. So he said to him, you will be over five towns. Again, just throwing out town rulership. I mean, it's crazy when you think about that. That's a significant amount of authority to throw out there. It's crazy. I wanna stop a minute and just make sure that you see what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, I am about to be king. I am going to get my kingdom. And while I'm gone... Here's some stuff for you to do business with until I get back. I mean, Jesus here is saying, go for it, crush it, make a difference. This is it, you can do it. This isn't a burden, this shouldn't burden us. This should fill us with excitement. It should fill us with passion. It should fill us with energy. Why? Because the God of this universe who owns everything created you in a very specific way. Why? To make a difference for his kingdom. And not only did he create you in a specific way with skills, he also said, here's some extra resources to go for. I mean, just try it. I mean, think about that for a second. God in his generosity has said, go for it. Crush it. Build my kingdom. And these servants did. They worked they took risk. And I can just imagine, let's get the human eyes on instead of these spiritual eyes that we have sometimes. I can imagine them going to trade some goods and being like, now listen, remember last time we made a trade? I kind of cut you some slack. Let's, let's, it's your turn. Like, cut me some slack here. I really need this. My master's coming back. I don't want to have a bad return, right? And I can also imagine them going, hey, man, your master has, my master's been really good to you guys. I mean, we've been doing business for years and years and years and years. My master loves you guys. Man, can you somehow give me a little bit extra? Like, let's just put the humanity side on this. I truly believe that's what they did. 
They didn't just leverage their name, they leveraged their master's name. They would have used him in negotiations, his name. But not only that, can you imagine them going up to somebody and going, hey, guess what? My master's gonna be the king. I mean, you wanna be in good with the king, right? Throw some extra cattle my way. You're not gonna miss them? Look at all your cattle, you're not gonna miss them? You wanna be on the king's good side. Now, I know for some of us, that may just like immediately like freak us out a little bit. But man, I believe that. I believe that they use their master's name. I believe that they use their master's name in a way to say, if my master doesn't come true, I'm gonna, like, if he doesn't come through and be king, I'm gonna have to get out of town. Like, I'm gonna have to get out. Like, if this thing doesn't really happen, I have wasted, I've wasted all this. So you can imagine that. Now, again, some of you may not like all this talk about work because some of it may rub up against some ideas that you have about grace. Now, I wanna be clear here. We've learned this before. Grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning Grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. Jesus exerted effort when he was here on earth. He walked to places to do ministry. He spent all day sometimes with people, all day, like all day. Can you imagine being out there all day with people coming to talk to you all day? That's hot, it's hot out there. Oh, I need to be healed. Oh, I need some food. I don't have enough money. All day long, Jesus did that. That's work, man, that's real work. The disciples got tired of him doing that sometimes. Like, we need to go get some food. Jesus, stop that. Jesus was a hard worker. He put forth tons of effort. And I'm gonna be honest with you. If you're not putting forth any effort towards your relationship with God or the kingdom of God, you may not understand grace very well at all. See, grace is transformative. It changes us. And when we experience grace and forgiveness, we can't just sit there. You can't just sit there. If someone exchanges all of their greatness for all of your junk, you can't just sit there. You have to tell everybody. You have to say, this guy is giving me everything. I even thought he was crazy. Why would he do that? You know me. Why would you do that, right? Like, you can't do that if you experience grace. You have to shout it from the rooftops. You have to tell people and you get going because life transformation changes us and motivates us towards action. I'm not talking about earning a standing with God at all. That's not grace. That's legalism. That's a form of godliness that is not godliness. It's deception. Jesus paid it all, and all to him I owe, and that should fill us with joy and satisfaction, and it should get us off our behinds and get going. And I wanna share a story with you today of some students who you'll look at them and go, there's no way they got that much to give, and I hope that their story encourages you today. Check this out.
You know, I'll tell you this. You know, it, I, I'll have been at Brookwood for 10 years next March, and I've seen those boys grow up. It's amazing what God is doing in them. One of the things that I love about what they said, it feels like a job. Can I be straight up with you? They don't know what a job's like. <laughs> they're, they're high school kids. What do they know about a job? But they know it's work. They know it's work. And man, if you see them driving around in the golf cart in the morning, which I do, because when I get here, they're, you know, goofing around. You're like, they're having a blast. But it's work. And it's important work. I, just, I, 
Listen, I know you hear all kinds of things up here. You just need to ask yourself this question right now and write down the answer. What are you doing for God's kingdom? I don't want you to put that on the shelf and wait till after lunch. I'm talking about right now. What are you doing for God's kingdom? Write it down. And if you don't have an answer, you need to wrestle with that until you get an answer. You need to wrestle with it. Because guess what? These boys are serving God's kingdom. And this isn't a commercial about serving at Brookwood. Yeah, we want you to serve here, but it's not about that. I don't think you're gonna get labels when you get up to heaven and Jesus is gonna be like, all right, well, who served at Brookwood? Okay, your line's over here. No, it's about are you doing good? Are you working for the kingdom to benefit others, to give God glory? The world needs you. People need you to do your part. Now, work is something that's seen a bunch in Scripture, but I just want to give you a couple pieces just so you've got some pieces to think about, okay? Uh, Proverbs 14, 23 here. Work brings profit, but mere talk leads to poverty. Contrast here is between work and talk. Don't just talk about it. Do something, okay? Proverbs 13, 4 says this. Lazy people want much, but get little. But those who work hard will prosper. Again, there's a contrast here between our laziness and our effort we're putting forth. See, God has called us to work for his kingdom's sake. I think that's part of what it even means to be a child of God. When, when God put Adam and Eve here on this planet, he gave them responsibility, ownership of the garden, ownership of the, the plants and the animals. They were stewards of what God had given them. From the beginning, before sin jacked it all up, they had responsibility. And there's something about it when you work for God's kingdom that it's like, this is what I was made for. And Jesus even said this in John 4, 34. He said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. So again, what are you working on for God's kingdom? Where do your efforts lie? And this is not meant to be something that just, you know, I'm not trying to ride you here today. I'm just trying to say there's something way better out there for you. If you're just grinding for your own stuff, it ain't worth it. It's not worth it. And I'll tell you something else. Some of us in this room are so afraid of failure and taking a risk for God's kingdom, we'd rather just sit on our hands. God's put something in you that you would just say, it's gonna be impossible unless God does something. And I don't know if you've read scripture before, but those are some pretty sweet things that you get to share with people when God does that. And I'd much rather have a story to tell people of how God came through than the things that I did not take the risk on. And for some of you in this room, you might think your time is done. You're getting older. It's time for me to just chill out and let somebody else do this work. Now, excuse my redneck here, but if you ain't dead, you ain't done. God has a purpose for you. And he's not waiting for you to be done. He's waiting for you to get it done. Lastly, living as a faithful servant includes reaping. Verse 22, he told him, I will judge you by what you have said, you evil slave. Why? Because the last servant hid his manah away in a cloth. And he said, why'd you do that? Well, because you're a bad man, basically. 
I know you do stuff that's strict and you keep account of things and I just don't like it. So I'm gonna judge you by what you say. In other words, he's, here's, check this out. This is an unbelievable leadership principle here. I'm gonna judge you by your words, not by how I feel, not by what I think. I'm gonna judge you by what you said because people tend to trip up on their words sometimes when they don't know what to say. I will judge you by what you've said, you evil slave. If you knew I was a tough man collecting what I didn't deposit and reaping what I didn't sow, why didn't you put my money in the bank? And when I returned, I would have collected it with interest. So he said to those standing there, take the manah away from him and give it to the one who has 10 manahs. But they said to him, master, he has 10. I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. And from the one who does not have, even what he does have will be taken away. Now, the Bible talks about rewards and that we will get them and that God is watching and we will give account of what we do with our lives. Fact, not up for debate. Now, what those rewards might be, there's a lot of debate around that. But the fact that God is watching and is going to give us good stuff for our good stuff and not give us anything for our bad stuff is a reality according to the scripture, 2 Corinthians 5.10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. I mean, it's in here. We're all gonna give account, every one of us, and we'll reap the rewards or the consequences. Do you want to be rewarded? Now, before I even say that, you know, you guys may have had loving parents who rewarded you for stuff, just randomly rewarded you. You may have had good bosses that rewarded you, but just to be real clear, okay? This is God who created unbelievable things rewarding you. So like, you think your boss is creative? You ain't seen Jack. I mean, God is going to reward you and he's unbelievably generous, he sees what you're doing. He sees what you're going through. He sees the stress, the anxiety. He sees those things and he is going to reward you. But maybe some of you are hoping he's not really keeping track. Maybe his Excel spreadsheet went down or something. Some of you may be thinking that this life God entrusted you with doesn't really matter at all to him. I mean, I truly believe that God wants something more for you than just existing. Now, let's just ask a question. Why do we think this servant did not spend the mana that he got? Now, maybe it's true. Maybe he really felt this way about the master. Maybe he felt he was crazy and too strict. Like, maybe he really thought that. I don't believe that, but maybe he did, right? Because he just gave him 100 days worth of wages for no effort at all. I don't think he really thought that. So what could he have, what, what, maybe was he thinking? What, what could have been in his mind? I'll give you a couple scenarios possible. One, maybe he's just lazy. I mean, just straight up, just don't want to put forth any effort. I mean, maybe that's it. We've all met those people before. Good thing hits them right in the face and they don't know what to do with it. They're just not gonna put forth any effort at all a little bit, okay? The Bible talks about laziness. It's not a good thing. 
But maybe this guy thought, this delegation that went after him, maybe they thought, maybe he'll convince him not to be king. Maybe this guy's been riding the coattails of his master, but he didn't really love him. So he just thought, you know what? Maybe he's not gonna be king. Maybe I can keep this manah for myself. I mean, maybe he even thought this delegation that went after him was gonna kill him on the way back. And somehow he could hoard this for ourself, for himself. What if our perspective of God has so much more to do with what's in us than we could ever think? Like, what if how we truly view God really is as a result of our wounds, our emotions, our circumstances, our frustrations? What if we can't even figure out who God is because of those things sometimes? It's like a dirty windshield, right? Like you can't see anything out of it when it's dirty and you gotta get it washed, you gotta get it clean so that you can see clearly. Some of us, we just can't see who God is as our master because of all of our stuff that's in the way. And man, you've gotta take time to just go, God, who are you? I want to know who you are. And how many times have you been in a situation that you're so stressed out about, it's producing so much anxiety, you can't go to sleep, it's crazy, and then you actually deal with it and it's like, boom, done. And you're like, really? I stressed out for like three weeks about that. That's crazy. Why'd I do that? Maybe you could have just been crippled with anxiety. Don't want to make the wrong decision. Don't want to make the wrong move and lose this money. See, the, the kingdom life, you don't want to miss it. Like you don't want to miss it because of your lack of desire to follow through or maybe even your lack of understanding. You got to figure it out. For me, I just think the unfaithful servant is lazy. I just think he's a guy who was hoping that the king wouldn't come back. Hoping that this all is just made up. That no way he could really give all those resources. No way he's really gonna be king. No way he's gonna come back and ask me what I did with it. Maybe he thought the king was too generous that he didn't keep an account. But man, did this guy miss out because he didn't put forth any effort. What are you missing out on? Because you have to claw and hold and clutch and hoard the blessings that God has given to you. So living as a faithful servant, it includes loving your master. It includes working. It includes reaping. But I want to make sure you understand one more thing before you leave. Some of us just have such a hard time understanding an authority figure as loving and generous. Even when we hear the word master, it like makes us tense up. And yes, Jesus is telling a story here with him as king. He's gonna be king. He's gonna rule. He's gonna reign. But Jesus is not just the master. He's also the slave. See, scripture's very clear that he gave up divine privileges to come to planet earth to serve you. Very clear. Very clear that he gave up perfect harmony with his father. He gave up a perfect world to come to planet earth and die and die. That's what he came for. He was born to a poor family. He lived a life in obscurity. And then he did three years of ministry, hard work. Three years of life of telling people, he's really a nobleman. I'm really God's son. And people not wanting him to be king. And then he died on a cross. 
He was buried. He was resurrected. See, Jesus isn't just the master in this story. He's also showing us how to be a faithful servant. God gave him a scenario and he followed through faithfully and he loved people along the way. Of, Jesus had so many gifts. He had a tremendous personality. He didn't have the wounds that all of us have and he did nothing out of selfish ambition. Everything to build God's kingdom. He made the most with what he had been given. What are we doing with what we've been given? Now, for those in this room who've been serving faithfully, giving faithfully for years and years and years, can I just give you a little practical principle? Man, you need to make sure you're receiving. Don't miss that. Don't miss it. We serve out of an overflow. If our cup is empty, it's not good for us to serve. It's not good. You need to take some time and get the life-giving affirmation that God has for you. You need to get built back up. You need to receive from God what that really looks like. In order to serve faithfully, we must receive consistently. In order to serve faithfully, we must receive consistently. And I pray that you're spending time with God. I pray that his voice is primary to you. I pray that he continues to resource you with life-giving insight that you can't get from anywhere else. See, God has given you your personality, your gifts, your talents, your strengths, your weaknesses. He knows who you work with. He knows what neighborhood you live in. He has uniquely created you, uniquely positioned you to make a difference in the kingdom of God. And he wants to work alongside you. He didn't just throw you out there to figure it all out. These men received this mana from their master, but they already had position and responsibility. They were already trusted servants to the master. God might have placed some opportunities in your lap. He might have placed some things that won't go away in front of you. You might be so overwhelmed or busy that you might not even be able to see it. Create some margin figure out what God has called you to do. And remember this, this comes from Acts 17, 25. I think it's on the screen. Human hands can't serve his needs for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything and he satisfies every need. And just, just remember this, God doesn't need your service. Jesus didn't tell him to do business until I come back because he needed the business. He wanted something for those slaves. He wanted them to experience the thrill of being on mission and having a purpose. He wanted it for them, not from them. And Jesus satisfies all our needs. And one of those needs that we have is significance. And it's why he created you the way that he did. And not only did he give us this unbelievable plan, but he wants to be partners with us. He wants to work alongside of us. We serve because our king gets the glory. We serve because it helps other people. And we hope that one day the people that we serve will one day serve alongside us. Let's pray. 
God, you love us so much. God, I pray more than anything that people wouldn't leave without understanding how much you love them, how much you've gifted them, how generous you are. And God, I pray if there's someone in this room who doesn't, can't comprehend a loving master, can't comprehend a God who is generous, can't comprehend a God who just created an unbelievable plan for their life, I pray that they'd come down front and talk to a counselor. And I pray that you would begin to unravel all the stuff that's in them and give them a purpose and send them on mission. God, for the rest of us in this room, God, I pray and ask that you would speak with clarity to us about how you made us. And I pray that we'd serve your kingdom faithfully. And I pray that we look forward to the day that we get to meet you at the judgment seat and turn over all of our stuff. God, you're amazing. And I pray that you change us forever today. It's in the name of Jesus Christ, our King, we pray. Amen. Here at Brookwood Church, our desire is to assist you in pursuing a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience transformed life. You can learn more about our church by visiting our website, brookwoodchurch.org, or by checking out our Brookwood app. Thank you so much for listening, and have a blessed week.